Oh, man, it's my great joy to welcome you today. My name is Josh Houston. I'm one of the pastors here at Dwell Church. Uh, we are in March. Can you guys believe that? Gosh, it goes so fast. This month, we are not working through a sermon series. We're going to be topically jumping around a little bit. If you read the weekly email, anybody read the weekly email? Bunch of liars. <laughs> At least you're in the right place, right? You can repent, come back to Jesus today. If you read the weekly email, if you saw our social media, uh, you know that today we're doing a panel. We're running a panel on the integration of faith and work. I'm very excited about today. In a few minutes, I'm going to be inviting up six from our church family to share a little of their hearts about what it looks like to practically put together faith and work because sometimes then they feel like they're competing with each other or they're at work against each other. Now to prelude this conversation, I want to lay some groundwork and here's why. I've been in ministry for 11 years now and one of the comments, one of the remarks I too often hear is that, actually and I want to personally combat against, is the perspective that church work, that pastoring, that vocational ministry is by nature more holy, more approved of by God more important, more significant than any other kind of work. That full-time church work, that vocational pastoring and vocational ministry is more important to God than any other industry, than any other kind of work. Or that because another job or another industry isn't blatantly faith-driven, it's less significant, it's less important than those who are working in and for the church. And I want to take a moment to just kick that in the face. This perspective is wildly misinformed, Theologically, scripturally, practically, it's wildly misinformed. I want to show you what Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Ephesus. This is Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Really big sentence. Paul's good at this. There's so much packed in here, but what he's communicating is that humanity is intended to experience maturity. We're intended to encounter the fullness of who God is, the Christ. And the way this gets accomplished is through followers of Jesus serving. And no, I'm not asking you to join one of our serving teams. That's not what this is about. This is so much grander than this. God has in mind for his church Maturity, encountering the Christ. So what he's done is he's given leaders to the church. Christ himself has given leaders to his church to, he, to equip his church for service. And the service here, this, it comes from the same root word as the word ministry. It's equipping the saints, equipping the church for ministry. So while pastors are technically designated ministers, like I'm, a licensed, I'm an ordained minister of the Assemblies of God, Legally, that's what I'm known as. But more accurately, scripturally, pastors are equippers. That's what Paul's saying right here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are given by Christ to his church to equip them for ministry. Which means what goes on here on Sundays is fundamentally not about ministry. It's about equipping. The pastor's job is not ministry. The pastor's job is to train and to prepare and to equip the church to leave the walls on Sunday and go do ministry. Because the church is never intended to be limited to a building. It's always the people. The church is the people. It was always intended to be a people. And ministry happens all week long because what you do here 
When you get equipped, when you get trained, when you get empowered, you leave. Ministry is intended to be happening all week long. So what you do here matters, but what you do out there matters too. If you raise your hands during worship, during singing songs, but you're not living lives of worship unto God, I'm not really sure what this is on a Sunday morning, right? So what we're doing here is getting filled. We're getting inspired. We're getting empowered so we can go do ministry Monday through Saturday because what you do out there matters very much because what you do out there is ministry. What you do out there is worship, which means what you do every day matters. It means your work here in the city matters. Whatever that work may be, however mundane or normal it may appear to you, it's intended to impact eternity because work is holy and it's sacred because all of life is holy and sacred. Faith and work, they're intended to be one. They're intended to be integrated into each other. So with that, I'd like to invite up our panelists now, Sean Bell. Annie Binderup, Amanda Houston, Paul Santos, Shante Tab, and Sarah Tedeschi. Would you welcome them with me? Just come take a seat wherever you guys want. You get to hear from a pastor almost every single week. And I want you to hear from ministers today about what it looks like for your faith and your work to be integrated, for your faith to impact your work, for your work, your work to be moved into and out of your faith. So how this panel is going to work, um, a lot of times panels are like, let's ask a question and let's pass the mic. I didn't want to do that today. Um, I, I asked them to prepare to give five minutes. So we're just going to hear them go for it. And I have not even checked about what they're going to say. I trust all of them, most of them. <laughs> they're going to take five minutes um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit right over here, and I'm going to have a stopwatch on my phone going, because some of you can preach. I know that. I'm going to give them five minutes each, and they're just going to go for it. From their perspective, they're all, I love, I love the, the, the diversity of expression, the diversity of personality, the diversity of spirit that's represented here, the diversity of even work, of the type of work, because they all work different here. So what I'd like you to do is, um, when you come up, introduce yourself, and then just say just a small thing about like, what you actually do for work in the city, and then um, do your five minutes, and then you can pass the mic to the next person. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with Amanda. <laughs> Figured I would, this is my lovely, beautiful wife, if you didn't know. I trust you. Um, she could preach, too. I gotta, I'm just going to get out of the way. So five minutes, and then Shantae, you can go next, all right? Okay. Well, hello, everyone. He already introduced me, but um, my name's Amanda. I am married to the pastor, <laughs> which means, never mind. Okay, so um, anyway, I am a full-time mom. I am home the majority of the time with our two kids, Aria and Shiloh. They're four and one, and they are crazy and also the best thing in the world. So uh, that is a huge aspect of my work and my life. Um, but I also, what some of you might not know, I, I'm also an artist and I have a business and I um, do calligraphy and watercolor art and um, that's another huge passion of mine, so another huge aspect of my life. So when Josh asked me to speak on this panel, my first question was, well, what do you want me to address? Which work, mom or like my, you know, actual job? And um, then almost immediately I kind of stopped myself and thought, does it really matter? You know, does it really matter what what I'm talking about or what I'm 
what I'm speaking to because does the way I approach work and faith change depending on what I'm doing? And I was kind of convicted that, no, I don't think it should. So um, I'm going to start with a little bit of a story about um, motherhood and then bring it full circle for the rest of you that may not be able to relate to that specifically. But um, when I became a mom just over four years ago, I kind of had an identity crisis, I would say. I uh, had spent a lot of years in school. I got my master's in leadership. I worked at a university for a lot of years. And I was climbing this ladder, and I thought I was successful, and I thought I was somebody, and I thought I was significant. And then all of a sudden, overnight, it changed. <laughs> I had this crying baby that I could not figure out what was wrong with her, um, no matter how many degrees I had, I couldn't stop her crying. And I felt like a failure, um, really. I just thought, geez, if I can't figure this out, like, <laughs> who am I and what, you know, what, what can I do? So I felt misunderstood. I felt worthless. I felt alone. And um, even though I wasn't alone, obviously Josh was right there in the trenches with me. But all of a sudden, I just felt like, this Amanda that I thought I was, was no longer, and what was I going to do? I found myself desperately wanting to be successful, wanting to um, have approval that we often find in the workplace, and it wasn't there. The only feedback I got was crying or poop, really. So, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you can imagine that I just didn't feel like I was, you know, winning at the whole motherhood game. But, um, so I know that not everyone can relate to the motherhood um, position, but I do think we can all relate to those feelings of feeling unseen, feeling maybe in over your head, maybe feeling worthless even, or like what you do is insignificant. And um, so I just want to encourage you, for me in this season, what, what uh, I was reminded of was a very important truth, and that was that my identity was not my job or my life circumstances, and that it could only be found in Jesus. And um, so I want to I want to quote one of my one of my favorite books from my master's program. Actually, it's M. Robert Mulholland's book, The Deeper Journey. He talks about this issue of identity, and he introduces this term called the false self. He says the essence of the false self is a mode of being in the world decentered from life with God, although seeking to retain God on its own terms, a mode of being that creates its own structures of identity, meaning, value, and purpose. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, that can totally be me to, to a T, trying to do this thing on my own, and I, th I think I have this figured out, I think I know who I am, and if I'm not centered in Christ, if I'm not spending time with him and letting him speak to my identity and who I am, it can so easily um, just become about me, and, you know, try, and obviously that doesn't work, and so um, I think, you know, we can do things with the greatest of intentions, but as um, Mulholland puts it in his book, we're so busy being in the world for God that we've failed to be in God for the world. And um, so I just think, you know, we're doing, a, a lot of us are doing things that are good, good work. Um, but if we're not centering ourselves in Christ, are they really the things he's asked of us? And it's so simple to um, get to a place where we feel overwhelmed and like, we don't know what to do, or, you know, there's too much on us, and maybe it's because we've put things on ourselves that, that Jesus didn't ask of us. 
Um, and so I think when we get to, to a position like that, we have to kind of ask ourselves, okay, step back, and what's our motivation? So I love the New Living Translation of Matthew 6.33. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Oh, man, I'm over five minutes. I'm sorry. So practically, really quick, what does this look like? Seeking the kingdom of God, I think it's pretty simple. Spending time with Jesus, learning his heart so we can participate in the good work he's already doing. Um, that's, to me, seeking the kingdom of God. Living righteously, look to the Bible. Jesus is a great role model for that. And so read your word, get to know him, and live like he did the, the best that we can. And then um, if we're doing these things, he says he's got the rest. I can honor God by loving my children well, sitting on the floor playing with them, giving them my undivided attention, just as much as I can honor him by giving good service to my clients that I designed stationery for or being kind to customers who are not kind to me. It doesn't have to be complicated. Um, so I just encourage you to stop trying to live to these unattainable standards that we've set for ourselves, we are only going to find ourselves in a greater state of stress and dissatisfaction when we hold ourselves to our own standards rather than Christ. So um, let's experience the freedom we can find in Matthew 6:33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and He'll give you everything you need. Thank you, Amanda. That was awesome. Um, hi, guys. I'm Shantae Massard, and I, I know, thanks. Um, <laughs> I am an actress, a wife, and a mom. Um, and thank God for Josh um, asking me to come and share. And I thank God for my husband allowing me to come and share with you today. Um, I want to start with the Bible verse, uh, Philippians 1.6. It says, being confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you shall finish it when Jesus Christ comes. Um, so that's one of the verses that I, I use to meditate on because I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I am an actress in LA, <laughs> um, which is in a lot of circles is a oxymoron. <laughs> but, um, Yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and an actress, and this journey isn't very easy or always glamorous. Um, so check this. My husband and I, um, <laughs> we look good, right? Like, we look good, we look put together, look at him. Stand up, baby. Yeah, show, show him what you got, yeah. He's all mines, ladies, he's all mines. All right. Uh, <laughs> so we clean up well. Um, and we have a beautiful house, and we have nice cars. Um, but to be completely honest, um, since we moved to Lancaster, which is way up the hills, um, we basically have been living off of one income and credit cards. Um, and we almost didn't come to church today because we barely had enough money for gas. I mean, and that's real. Um, but we had a really good talk yesterday. And we came together and decided that we needed to do better and make some changes um, before things got any worse. Um, but this is the life of many artists, um, portraying themselves in one way and living another. In my business, there are so many of us that compromise our morals, 
sacrifice everything to be a star. And more often than not, we fall short. So many of us are lost. So many of us are lonely. And so many of us are depressed. And no one knows it. I got these index cards, y'all. <laughs> I don't know how I could do this business without God. I don't know how I could do life without God, let alone this business. Um, but having faith in God makes all the difference. And my faith is my baseline. It's my starting point. And if an opportunity comes and it doesn't align with what God says, then it's a no. And it's not for me. And there have been many times where an opportunity seemed like a yes for my career, but I had to say no because God wasn't in it. And I don't mean like literally like the name of God or the word God wasn't in the project, um, because I do believe that God created me to tell stories of all types of life. But when I say that God wasn't in it, I mean that his peace wasn't in it and his love wasn't in it. But um, saying yes to God's love and his peace also means that God will open the doors of opportunity that will inspire his people. And did y'all know that the word inspire literally means to breathe in? Like the in means in, like inside. And spire means to breathe. So, so everybody, let's do it. Come on. Let's let's. Everybody breathe in. One, two, three. You just inspired. <laughs> All right. So for me, that means that who I am, a child of God, a believer, a follower of Christ, and what I do as an actor can literally breathe life into someone. And that is very encouraging to me. It's what gets me going every day and just that God chose me to breathe life into his children. That's, that's wow, it's incredible. So I just want to leave you all with a monologue from the play The Seagull by Anton Chekhov. <laughs> I've become a real actress. I take pleasure in my performance. I am in a state of total intoxication when I'm up there. I feel that I am beautiful. And while I've been here, I've been walking and walking and thinking and thinking, and I realize my spiritual strength has grown. And I know now, I understand now that in our work, and it makes no difference whether we are acting or whether we are writing, the main thing, it's not the fame, it's not the glory, it's not even all the things I used to dream of. It's the ability to endure. Learn to bear your cross. Have faith. And I have faith. And for me, the pain is less. And when I think of my vocation, I am not afraid of life. Thank you. Thanks, Shantae. Thanks, Amanda. Um, all right. So uh, my name is Annie, and for those who don't know me, um, I'm a new wife to Seth Benderup. Woo! <laughs> 
But in my professional life, I'm a commercial real estate, uh, I'm in the commercial real estate industry and I manage commercial office and medical buildings. And that also consists of managing engineering teams, security teams, janitorial teams, parking teams, and building office management personnel. I've managed everything from two to 25-story buildings over the span of an 11-year career. So how does my faith affect my work? For me, it shows most in the way that I work with and manage my people. I think naturally because I sp those are the people with whom I spend most of my time. And I know that as believers of Christ, we are taught that our workplace and our respective spheres of influence are places of ministry. And honestly, I haven't always gotten that right. I have been at my current company for about four years, and looking back, I've achieved quite a bit. I was nominated 2016's Rising Star in our SoCal region. I was promoted twice in 2017, first in February, and then seven months later in September. All this may sound great, but my achievements came with a price. I really burned myself out in the process. I was self-sufficient, putting most of my identity in my work, and relied heavily on my own strength to get to that place. This also then directly affected the way that I worked with and managed my team. As a leader and a manager of people, I have always believed that I am nothing without my team. And while this thinking has served me well in my workplace, I have also made the mistake of viewing my team as a means of accomplishing tasks and not as children of God who are fiercely loved. Largely because that is not how I viewed myself most times. I spent a long time compartmentalizing my Christian life and my professional life. And this doesn't mean that I never prayed to God regarding my work. It just meant that I felt alone a lot more than I should have. Had I leaned into God a lot more and asked him for his wisdom and his thinking, I really believe I would have acted with a much more higher degree of emotional intelligence. I would have been concerned about my team's self-care more often because I understand that they are far more important than their task. And honestly, I think that I would have been a lot more caring of myself along the way. As I began to allow the truth of who I am to sink deep into my heart, which is that I'm a child of God, I realized more and more that I can function in my role from a place of overflow and not a lack that is a result of self-sufficiency because I trust that God is fully and fiercely for me in everything that I do. It means that I am not alone, and I have learned to lean into God during my workday and find rest and peace in that place. I sit in prayer and strategize with the living God about situations or problems that come up that sometimes I have no idea how to deal with. He never hesitates to give me wisdom and discernment when I ask for it. It also means that when I lead the way God intends for me to lead, I become a much more well-rounded leader that can set healthy boundaries and to gain trust and respect of those who follow me. I remind myself of this each day before I start my workday, and that is that I'm a Christian that happens to be a real estate manager and not a real estate manager that happens to be a Christian. For me, this really helps me not to only actively remove the dichotomy of my professional life and my Christian life on a daily basis, but it also shapes the way that I approach my work and especially the members of my team. It positions my heart daily to act first for my true identity, which is that I'm a Christ follower, a child of God, a carrier of God's joy, a lover of peace, and the list goes on, right? 
so my first job is not to manage real estate, but to follow the two greatest commandments of the New Testament, which is to love God with all my heart and to love people the way that God loves people. It means that I, as a Christian, created for God's intended purpose, set aside before the foundations of this world, am continually called to love those around me and to be concerned first and foremost about their well-being. We are called to be a pastor of people in varying degrees. The awesome thing about God's love is that it doesn't always have to be a grand gesture. It's found in a simple smile or a genuine, how are you doing today? I am called to bear his image, which is to reflect God's love, extend his grace, his mercy, and to exude his joy and peace to those around me. Seek first his kingdom, and the rest God will work out as you faithfully serve him and those he loves. Hello, hello. <laughs> My name is Sarah Tedeschi. For those of you who don't know, i married to Nick, the one who looks like the bad guy from Karate Kid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am in account management at a company who specializes in YouTube social and influencers. So basically what that means is I help develop strategy and help create stories for brands. My favorite being creating stories for a very famous mouse. Um, but ever since I've moved to LA, one thing that I've had to learn to really learn is embrace your season. Four and a half years ago, Nick and I moved here to LA after turning down multiple paid full-time positions in ministry to move here and serve this church for free on uh, a volunteer staff. And I get on the surface that it sounds crazy. Like, why would we move across the country away from everyone that we know and love in New England to a place where we had no apartment, we had nothing lined up, no job, no place to live, no close relationships to serve for free when there are plenty of churches to pay us and told us so. Well, it's really simple as God told us to, so we did it, and that is crazy. But four days after moving here, I was employed. One week later, Nick was employed. The week after that, we had an apartment. So in three weeks, we both had jobs, nothing lined up beforehand, no prospects, and we had a place to live. And I know that's a pretty unheard of situation in LA. For one of us to have found a job within three weeks would have been a blessing, <laughs> but God is so good. And when you're obedient to him, even when it sounds crazy, he's gonna come through for you. But I'll be real with you, I did not love my first job in LA. To give you an example, my boss had asked me to do something pretty sketchy one day. And when I told her no, she told me that I was too nice and because of my attitude and my morals, I would never really make it in the business world because you had to fudge a little. Everyone has to if you're going to make it. And even though I didn't love that year with that company, it gave me the experience I needed to get a job at the company I'm with today. Eventually, I do feel called to either work in a nonprofit or ministry in some, ca some capacity full-time. But in the meantime, I have a super fun job um, in digital marketing, and I've had the opportunity to work with some really cool clients along the way. It's been a massive blessing to my life. But 
if I didn't take advantage of my current season, I never would have been equipped to operate at the level that I feel God is calling me to one day. Four years ago, I would not be able to talk to you the way I am right now. My job has empowered me. It has stretched me. It has made me more confident. It's sharpened my skills. It's made me discover things about myself that I didn't know, like how strategic I was, that I was a great storyteller, that I'm a great developer. I'm good at developing people and teams. I'm excellent at creating processes and setting up teams for success. But I had to make the decision to learn and grow and make the absolute most of where I am now. Every training my company offers, I take it. Everything that someone might tell me some constructive criticism, I take it, I apply it, I learn from it. I reach out to people who are smarter than me, who are higher up than me, and I ask them out to lunch because I want to learn from them. But if I just went through it, if I gave the absolute bare minimum and dragged my feet at, until I was finally at the place where I believe God was calling me to be, I would have completely missed out on what God was trying to do in my life. I would have been so focused on what I thought was waiting for me in the future that I never would have actually been prepared to do it. When you're willing to dig in right now where God has you, watch yourself grow. Because your season might be preparing you for what's next. Do I believe God is a calling on our lives? Yes. That he gives us dreams and visions? Yes. But God also wants to get us to a place where we're not running around all the time talking about what we're going to do one day. Because if you're not careful, you can use the concept of a calling as a crutch to not fully embrace the season of life that you're in. Whether that's a calling to a different job or a different city, a different industry, whatever it is, you have to learn to embrace your season. Ecclesiastes 3 says that there is a time for everything a season for every activity under the sun. So lean in where you are. Take advantage of the position you're in. Don't be so focused on pressing fast forward that you miss out on what God is trying to do in you and through you right now. Good morning. Um, my name is Sean Bell. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Who, who was that? That was you. Awesome. Um, so uh, when Josh asked me to uh, come up to the, be a part of the panel, I was like, no problem. I got this. And, um, and then I was thinking, like, well, actually, you know what? Actually, I might not even have this at all. Because um, uh, I've been up here a couple of times, and I'm just like, mm, I don't know. That last time didn't really work out. Um, but... Um, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, aspects of, you know, faith within, I would say within my pain. Um, but let me, before I get into all of that, and um, so a couple of things about me. I'm a sneakerhead. Most of you know that. Um, I'm a dad. Um, I have two little girls. Um, occasionally, during the weekend, don't say, don't even look at me weird. I dress up um, like a princess because they want me to do something crazy. Um, um, <laughs> I'm nerd famous uh, in, the, in the gaming industry. Um, uh, I'm a verbal processor. Uh, I work in, um, I, I'm an art director and I work on the game called Call of Duty. Um, and um, yeah, and I'm a husband. So 
jumping back to my um, to my pain, my internal pain. Um, one of the things was just this concept, this overarching concept that I'm not enough, and in that that drove a lot of things I've done. So this story kind of breaks down into being um, impatient, um, getting laid off with um, being on the beach with a Lucha Libre hat, um, a mask, um, being a Zen master, and then being still. So um, with that said, um, just in my career, really quickly, just kind of brushing you through what's happening. Um, I was, um, I started off in the industry very young, kind of flew through it, and I was like, oh, in five years, I'm gonna have this, I'm gonna do that, and then what happened, bam, you know, the three-year mark, going up into my career, the four-year mark, yes, yeah, I'm making it happen, high-fiving people on the way up. And then, um, you know, on the way there, I was thinking like, you know, I'm, this is not enough, I'm not doing all I can do, what, what else can I do? And then, you know, um, time to keep moving on, um, I wind up getting laid off. Um, getting laid off after, after giving the job all I could, thinking I could do whatever I could, I, I've done everything. Um, and then I got laid off because of, you know, budgets. You know, at the end of the day, you're just a person um, uh, or just an asset. I got laid off actually right before my wedding, like the week of my wedding. Um, so this is not an oh, woe is me story because obviously I'm here in California and I'm, I'm dressing up as princesses every once in a while. So it's not, so obviously I survived. Um, but, um, so I got laid off that week but it was one of those moments of one of the most like deep sense of rest and peace because there was so much stress um, going up to that point. Um, when, when I wound up going to Fiji and I, when I was laying on the beach, I had on my Lucha Libre mask from my, um, hopefully I'm saying that right. Um, uh, I was laying on the beach just looking up like, I guess, you know, I gotta find something else to do. And um, I remember God just telling me, be still and know that I'm God. And at that point, I didn't know that was in the, ver I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Um, but then, you know, I was like, well, let me look this up and looking online because the internet is amazing. And I found it in Psalms 46, um, 10. Um, so fast forwarding again, moving forward, um, I get a new job. I wind up um, moved to um, California. Um, and my, if you look at my, my, all my posts and my notes for my, um, in my phone, it was just note after note after note, just this, this, I guess this story of that I'm not enough, I'm not doing enough, I'm, um, I, you know, there's more that could be out there. And just this feeling of just always striving. Um, and once again, God was like, be still and know that I'm God. Um, so I wind up getting, I wind up at the job, um, working, working through everything, um, and the project canceled a couple of things on it, and fortunately enough, um, you know, I got moved around and we, we moved, moved things up, um, and one of my managers came to me, um, or not managers, he's the studio head actually, um, he came to me and he was like, you know what, Sean? You're always, you got like this zen-like state. Um, what is, like, why are you always pretty calm? 
And I'm like, well, that's crazy because inside I'm screaming. But, um, but and, then, and then, you know, I, I, um, I look around and I'm just like, well, you know, it's, it's because I don't stress out that much. It's God. But I didn't say it too loud. And, um, and then he was like, man, you know, you've been through a lot, you know, here. You know, you've helped out a lot. But you've always just seemed to be calm and, and, and present. And, and the thing that what was left with me was, like, all those ups and downs, all those feelings of not being enough, all those times God just, like, inter, um, just interweaving in this thought of just being, being still, knowing that I'm God, being just being... Um, uh, just not being an anxious, anxious spirit, being calm, and going to the, like faith in um, in the workplace. I look at it like this: you know, um, each of us have influence, and our influence is um, you know whatever degree and whatever. Oh wow! Um, all right, um, yeah. Uh, wrap it up, son. Um, all right. So I'll just say it like this. Um, with our, with this, with your opportunities that you have there, just take the opportunity just to be still, be present, and just not be an anxious spirit. So, um, with that, I'll pass the mic on. Sorry. Oh, wow, I shouldn't even have to talk. That was enough. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm saying that from everybody. It's all good. <laughs> hey, everyone. My name is Paul Santos. Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I'm an electrical engineer. Uh, I actually work for the United States Navy. Uh, I, I design radars and communication systems for the men and women in uniform that serve us. Um, so, actually, you know, that's actually like my biggest inspiration for working for the Navy. And I know, like, there's a lot of political views. Oh, you're making weapons or whatnot or whatever. I, I kind of look at it in a different perspective. The reason actually why I came in the United States was because my uncle served in the Navy in the Philippines, and that was the one way that he was able to petition us to come to the United States because he had, you know, he had served in the armed forces, so that made it easier for us to come a little bit. And I've always had it in my heart, you know, that, man, I kind of felt grateful for this country because obviously coming from the Philippines, we weren't really the most, you know, well over there, but I was just grateful always for this country, and I always had it in my heart that, you know what, like, I want to give back to this country one way or the other, and I was an engineer. I loved Legos growing up, and so, you know, it was natural for me um, to just be an engineer, and, you know, like, I never, and actually, I'm also a PhD student at UCLA. Go Bruins! <laughs> um, and the thing is, like, in my journey with engineering is kind of interesting because I thought I was just going to get a bachelor's you know, work at a, some industry job and, you know, have a good family and whatnot. But throughout my life, it's always been like, there's always been points like where people have led me and say, you know what, Paul, I think you're good enough to be in PhD. And I, you know, one of my professors told me that and I was like, are you serious? Like, I'm okay, you know? And he's, and it's kind of weird because I was a summa cum laude of my graduating class for my bachelor's in electrical engineering. But in myself, I didn't feel good enough. But my, I had always, I was always thankful for Jesus that, there were people along the way that believed in me and that said, you know what, you can do this. Um, I think there, there's a lot of intersection between work and, like, my faith because traditionally, as you, many of you guys know, the science community is probably one of the most anti-Christ people out there because they always cite evolution or whatever that is. And so, like, in my heart, 
you know, like I always, I always kind of had this weird intersection because like, I, I, you know, like I looked up to people like Billy Graham and I was like, oh, you know, like I got to do some tent revival, you know. <laughs> but I think sometimes we miss out kind of like what a lot of the people in the panel had already said was that it's the small things that matter, really. Um, I had a professor who's a very famous professor at UCLA. I mean, the guy's just downright famous. And, you know, like God was just teaching me the small things that you interact with people matter. And this professor who happens to be Hindu at the same time he's atheist, which is really confusing. But, you know, he had knee, and he had knee problems. You know, and I believe in power of healing and, like, you know, and supernatural miracles. And one day, finally, God just pressed in my heart to say, hey, professor, can I, can I pray for your knees? And he's like, what? I'm like, well, I'm a believer in Christ. Like, I really want, I really love you, professor. And he's, you know, like, saying, I love you, professor, was kind of weird. <laughs> But I just kind of went up to him and, you know, Professor, I really love you. I care about you. And, you know, it's Hindu, right? And he began to tell me, oh, in my religion, like, pain is part of our lives. And this is one way the karma is teaching us that we messed up in our previous life. All these things. And I told him, you know, Professor, I believe in a God that can actually restore you. You know, I believe in a God that, you know, like, whatever what we've done in the past is irrelevant. He forgives us. He loves us. He died for us. You know, like, needless to say, I was able to pray for him. And, and, like, we just built this relationship on that. I mean, he didn't get healed right away. He had to get surgery and whatnot. But one of the things I've always felt proud of was the fact that he just told me, you know, JP, out of all the people that I've met, you're really different. And I think it's just the small acts we do in the workplace that actually build us and make us who we are. And, and the last thing I want to talk about is just in the fact in engineering, failure is always in front of you. And it, was it Thomas Edison that... You know, he said that it took him a thousand times to perfect the light bulb. And I think that happens to me a lot, like when I do research, because I'm also, like I said, I'm a researcher at UCLA, getting my PhD. Failure is always in front of my face. And I was like, man, this always failed. And it's like, you know, like, God, like, why do I want to go out again and do this measurement? Why do I want to go out and do this design again? And actually, sometimes God has told me, Paul, I want you to cast the net on the other side. You know, because it, failure is always in front of my face. Like, man, this design is going to work. What's the point of continuing, right? But, you know, I just look back, you know, if, I don't know if you, many of you, and I think this has really solidified my faith, was a lot of scientists like Newton and all of those guys were actually believers. And I always just pray, and this is kind of like where, it's kind of, I think, Annie was talking about, like, in our prayers, like, I began to pray very creatively with God. I would say, you know what, God, you've given, like, Einstein, Newton, this creative mind. First of all, you created the universe. You've created like the laws that govern our universe, the intricacies of it. Can I please just have a little, little really small percentage of that? And I would pray like that. I would actually pray specifically, God, my radar system is not working. I don't know what to do. Like, I, I, like, is the connection wrong? And I'm telling you, like, God has pulled through for me. I'd find out the cable was kinked a little way. Like, I just feel like, you know, like, like all of the rest of the panel said, I think God really cares about the intricacies of our lives. And even though we see failure constantly, you know, I just got to remember, I got to step back and say, you know what? Like this is just something I do. It's not who I am. Like this is something that I'm just involved in, something I'm passionate about. But I can't let this failure of, you know, tweaking the cables or whatever it may be, like, you know, affect my identity in Christ. So I'm just thankful for that because, you know, God is so much bigger than what we're doing in front of us. Would you help me uh, say thank you to all of you, all of the panel? Thank you, guys. You guys can go take a seat. You guys can go take a seat. Man, that was really good.
my, that's like mouth on the, on the broken um, fire hydrant, right? Just so much. Wow, that was, I have so much to digest right now. My prayer has been um, that, that hopefully you get this overarching today of like what you do matters. The little things, they matter. The big things, they matter. But my, my, my prayer has like specifically been that something would land on your heart. That something somebody said that you can walk out and I'm going to go do that. Topher, you can come up um, for worship. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was that you needed to hear today. I don't think it's an accident that any one of you are in the room today. I think God drew you here today. And I believe you needed to hear something. Whether it was all six of them, this collective thing that moved forward and moved you to, to, to go do something when you walk out the door or whether it was one line that somebody said that's just going to inspire you, that, that breathe in, inspire you, right? I pray that it ignites your heart. Thank you to the panelists for, for coming up and sharing and, and just exposing vulnerably who you are and what's going on and how God has used you. We're so appreciative of that. We're going to go into a time of, of worship and response right now to God. And here's what I want to ask of you. Just ask, God, what are you doing in my heart right now? Paul was saying just to just like just throw up the prayers right now, right? Like, I need, I need some help. This is what my life looks like right now. This is the challenges. These are, these are the relational conflicts and the problems that are in front of me. And you invented the universe. You invented the person. You invented the strawberry. Wow. Can you give me a little something right now? And God... The primary way that he speaks to us is through our own thoughts. I don't know if you guys know this or not. So we pray for this, like, God, can you speak to me? And sometimes it's like, what am I supposed to hear? There's not this booming voice from the sky. I didn't have an angel. There wasn't a cloud that said, go do this, right? How does it, there's just this, just this drifting forward, this settling in your heart of, this seems like what God is trying to communicate to me. In the New Testament, we, we read how they made decisions. The early church, they said, it seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to us. I'm like, that's it? <laughs> Big decisions, and you're just like, it just seemed right to God and to us. Just pray right now. This is what I'm asking, like, that you would chew on what you just heard and ask God, can you make something seem right to my spirit about what I'm supposed to go do with this information? Is it dealing a relationship with someone in my family or someone at work? Is it regarding a big decision I have to make that's coming up? Is it regarding a challenge or a conflict that's in front of me? Because what you do matters. I think if it didn't, we'd all be in heaven right now. You get saved, boom, you're gone. You have a purpose here still. God wants you to accomplish something here still. We're joining him in renewing this broken world and bringing life and wholeness to the people, to the relationships, to the systems, to the powers that we're involved with. So whatever it is that's going on in your heart, I pray that the Holy Spirit would rest on you right now and make something known to you, whatever that is. We've got two people back by the connection table if you want someone to pray with you. Maybe you're just like, I just need someone to stand with me and pray. I don't know what it is that I need right now. There's just something that's very heavy. I'm overwhelmed by this. I want a brother or a sister to stand with me and ask for God's presence and power and grace to descend on me. They're going to sing a song right now. Maybe you just need this song sung over you. Maybe you want to participate in worshiping God in this. Maybe you just need to sit in stillness before God. Like Sean said, be still and know that I am God. I don't know what you need. 
But I pray that you would pay attention to the voice of the Spirit that is present in you right now and around you right now. So God, we give ourselves to you again in this moment. As your church, as your people, we love you. We honor you. We set our hearts and our minds to you. We set our affection and our devotion. We point it in your direction right now. In this moment, may your kingdom come as it is in heaven, onto this room, onto our hearts, into our circumstances. Bring your kingdom down right now, Lord, we pray. And may it impact what we do when we walk out of this room. I give you space in this room right now to have your way, Jesus, in your name.